You have a responsibility. Jesus gave it in the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. And then he says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That's part of the Great Commission. That's a command from the commander-in-chief. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. Are you a Christian? Have you put your total and absolute faith in Jesus Christ as the only means to salvation? We hope so, but now if you are a Christian, are you growing in your relationship with Christ? Just as in any other relationship, we are called to grow in love and knowledge of those whom we love. And yet the Bible warns against regressing in our relationship with Christ. We're presenting a two-week mini-series entitled Growing Up in Christ, and we are in the first of three messages from the book of Hebrews. Yesterday, we began to look at what Dr. Brogy terms perpetual infancy, as seen in chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. This passage comes on the heel of the author's illustration of Melchizedek, who is a type of Christ who intercedes for believers with God the Father. But the author acknowledging that this is not an easy concept to comprehend is critical of those who have been Christians for some time. The author asserts that these longtime Christians have become dull of hearing. In other words, they've stopped expressing interest in learning about the things of Christ. As we rejoin Dr. Brogy, he acknowledges that we are living in a day when congregations are not being challenged to grow from pastors in many pulpits. But the responsibility is as much, if not more, that of the congregant to seek to grow and mature in the faith. Immaturity in Scripture is often placed back on the listener, on the believer. Look, I know there are pastors who don't open the Word, and some of the people are starving. But God is bigger than whatever our circumstances are, especially in this day, where unlike first century Christians, we hold a printed copy of all 66 books of the Bible, and we have access to Bible teachers across the world. But if we have a take-it-or-leave-it kind of attitude, we've become dull of hearing. And I fear, sadly, that the average Christian in America has become that way. Listen, if you come to church and five minutes into the sermon, you tune me out. You are dull of hearing. If you're looking for a church where, look, after 15 or 20 minutes, you're beginning to get antsy, you become dull of hearing. You say, I've got my day and I've got my things to do. That's a dull listener. And when the sound of God's word no longer stirs you and excites your heart, you become dull of hearing. When your adult Bible fellowships, when we're able to meet, though some of them are doing it online, and you could really care less, you become dull of hearing. When your quiet time is dull and you just do it to check off a box, you become dull of hearing. So that's the first manifestation that these people were suffering from spiritual infancy. They were dull in their hearing. But there's a second characteristic brought out in verse 12, and that is the spiritually immature are delinquent. They are delinquent in their teaching. Look now at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. 
Now, I think we need to take a moment to talk about what God meant when he said, by this time, you ought to become teachers, because the question invariably comes up, how do you put Hebrews 5, verse 12, together with James chapter 3 and verse 1? Let me read to you what James said. James wrote, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. James is speaking to my brethren, that is, those who name the name of Christ, born-again brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the obvious question is, how do you take this negative command, let not many of you become teachers, with this command from the writer to the Hebrews, where we are told that we're immature if we haven't become teachers, add to that what we've studied in the last several weeks on the subject of spiritual gifts, that God gives spiritual gifts as he chooses. And one of the gifts he gives is the gift of teaching. And another gift that he gives is the gift of pastor teacher. You will remember, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 11, but one and the same spirit works all these things. He's talking about spiritual gifts, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. Four times in one way or another, in the New Testament, God says he gives spiritual gifts to his people on the day they are born again, as he chooses. In other words, you and I have nothing to do with it. God determines these grace gifts. He doses them out as he chooses so that there's balance and the needs in the body of Christ are met. And of course, Peter said... In reference to your spiritual gift, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So knowing, let not many of you become teachers, we know that he can't be referring to the gift of teaching or the gift of pastor teacher, because if God has given you that gift, he chose you for that purpose, and he expects you to use that gift or whatever gift you have in serving the body of Christ as a steward. And above and beyond those who are gifted in this way and those who have the responsibility, there's the office of teaching. And that's really what James is dealing with. Those who serve in the office of teaching. Some are called and gifted by God to earn their living through the ministry of teaching the word. Now, let me say there's a difference between the responsibility and the office. The writer of the Hebrews is dealing with the responsibility. James 3.1 is dealing with the office. Paul, like Peter, is dealing with the spiritual gift. Think your way through this. For instance, if someone is qualified to serve as an elder of the church, among other things, uh, Titus 1.9 says he must be able to exhort in sound doctrine. That is, he's supposed to be able to take the Bible and relate it to life. Uh, the scripture also says in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 2 that an elder must be able to teach. Again, that's the responsibility. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? Because of what God says in other passages. The best interpretive scripture is scripture itself. Jesus spoke of those who are in the office, those who teach for a living, that the worker is worthy of his support. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 4. 14, it should say. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. He said in 1 Timothy chapter 5, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. 
implication. Not every elder is called to earn his living from the gospel. Not every elder is gifted to stand in a pulpit like this and to preach the word of God. But if he's an elder, he has the responsibility to be apt to teach, able to exhort in sound doctrine. Why? Because that's a mark of spiritual maturity. And so distinguish in your mind the given responsibility, the spiritual gift, and the office, because those are three distinct things in the New Testament. So James is saying, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren. Why should we clamor to proclaim the word of God? When a young man says, I, I think maybe God's calling me to preach. It's wonderful when I hear that. But I want to encourage them to proceed carefully and slowly to make sure God has really called them to preach. Knowing that, James says, here's the reason. Knowing that, as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. He's speaking of the future judgment that every Christian will face. It's called the famous seat of Christ, the reward seat of Christ. It's the judgment of the just. It's not the great white throne judgment where only unbelievers are present. The Bema seat of Christ takes place in heaven. And those who stand in a pulpit like this and teach the word of God, the scripture says, will incur a stricter judgment. Look, I spend a lot of time, usually no less than 24, 25 hours before I step into this pulpit. I've been doing it for 40 years. Why do I take that so seriously? For the simple reason that I don't want to misrepresent God. I don't want to take some passage and say it means this when it doesn't. I don't want to misrepresent God's word knowing that when I speak on behalf of the Lord and say, this is what the text says, knowing that I'm going to incur a stricter judgment. So there's coming a judgment, and it's not just for preachers, it's for everyone. Each one of us will give an account of himself to God for every born-again believer. We will stand, in essence, eyeball to eyeball with Christ. He will test the quality of our works, what sort it is, whether it be gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or stubble, and when tested with fire, he will evaluate each and every work that we've done. So the judgment that James is talking about is not salvation. It's service. And, of course, your service for Christ makes a difference not only in the coming thousand-year reign of Christ, but throughout all of eternity. You are becoming for eternity by the way you are willing to serve the Lord today. So James is not contradicting the writer to the Hebrews. He is dealing with people whom he will say in chapter 6, who need to press on to maturity. Look again at Hebrews 5 and verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. I have it underlined in my Bible four times over. It's the word you. And it's not you singular, it's the second person plural. That's one of the advantages of Old English and that they distinguish between the singular you and the plural you. This is the plural you. In other words, you could say y'all ought to be teachers. Y'all should have grown up by now. Y'all should have reached a point where you were sound enough in doctrine such that you could teach others as well. You see, as you mature in Christ, you learn to answer basic questions that people will ask you. 
And he had expected these people in that sense to become teachers, not formally as pastors, not to have had the gift of teaching because that's determined by God, but this responsibility to carry it out. And by the way, as you've been with us in this series on spiritual gifts, we saw that there are 20 that are listed in the New Testament. And I suppose in a broad way, you could distinguish the gifts between the sign gifts and the serving gifts. In the sign gifts, there are four, tongues, interpretation of tongues, healing, and miracles. And my, I've had a slew of questions coming in. Somebody from Fiji, someone from a country in Africa I never heard of, someone from Switzerland and different places about tongues. And so I encourage you, if you have questions on that realm, again, to take the spiritual gifts course. But apart from those four sign gifts, there are 16 non-sign gifts. And what's so fascinating is with those 16 non-sign gifts, we all have a common responsibility. You may not have the gift of giving, but all of us are called to give a tithe. You may not have the gift of serving, but he that would be great among you must be the servant of all. You may not have the gift of mercy, but blessed are the merciful. You may not have the gift of hospitality, but we are called, as the writer will underscore in chapter 13, to show hospitality. You may not have the gift of discerning spirits, but this text will remind us that God wants us to grow enough so that we can discern the difference between good and evil. You may not have the gift of evangelism, but God has called all of us to do the work of an evangelist. And you may not have the gift of teaching, but God has called us all in some sense to be teachers. Why? Because it's an overflow of growing up in Jesus Christ. And by the way, that to me is a powerful argument among others for the temporary nature of the sign gifts in the New Testament. Now, here's the point. There's the gift of teaching. There's the office of teaching. But there's this responsibility that is seen as you mature in Jesus Christ. Dads and moms, if you are growing in Christ, if you have ears to hear, Unless you have spiritual wax, so to speak, in your ears, you ought to be able to take the truth of God's Word and just relate it to the different circumstances of life, where you're in some setting and you say, kids, hey, do you know what God says about this? And you teach the truth. Husbands, you ought to be able to do that with your wives. Paul in 1 Corinthians, it's kind of an interesting text, 1 Corinthians 14, 35, let me read it to you. He's speaking about wives, and he said, if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Now, that will make some women bristle, (laughs) but understand contextually, he's not saying that you can't speak at all in church. It's a qualified silence, because he's just said, you know, a woman could prophesy in church in terms of be a direct conduit of God, where because the Bible was not complete. Uh, she could, in essence, say, thus say the Lord. A woman should sing in church and so forth. What he's dealing with in this context is a woman who would interrupt the service, ask a question of the pastor, and Paul says, no, you ought to be silent because, one, it was a violation, potentially because of the way Greeks learned and the process of the church service was in terms of how it unfolded, it was potentially an opportunity for a woman to teach or exercise authority over the pastor, something God told her not to do. So go home and ask your husband, what does that verse assume? It assumes the man can answer the question. 
Very, very often when a woman calls and she has a spiritual question, the first question I ask her is, have you asked your husband? Now, if he's not a believer, I get that. But if he's a believer, I'll say, go home and ask your husband. Well, he doesn't know the answer. He better find out the answer. He is the spiritual leader and head of your home. You need to speak with him. He needs to get off his spiritual duff and get studying and learning the scripture and start teaching the word of God. That's our responsibility. So listen, there's a sense as you grow up in Christ that your ability to teach scripture grows, even in an evangelistic sense. Remember what Peter said, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense. It's the Greek word apologia. So we speak of Christian apologetics. We're not saying, I'm sorry. We're saying, let me tell you why we believe what we believe. We are to be able to give a defense to everyone who asks for what we believe. And so your skill in being able to even defend the faith, not just for new Christians who have many of the same questions that unbelievers have. You know, they'll come and ask you, well, you know, someone challenged me the other day and they said, everything you believe is from the Bible. Why should I believe the Bible more than any other book? So not only will believers ask you, but unbelievers will ask you. And so there's in a sense, even in witnessing to the lost, that you'll be able to give out. And some of us lack the zeal and life and growth because we never, ever give out. Listen, if you're what I call a sponge Christian, always soaking in and never giving out, your growth is going to stop. You're going to become saturated, and you are going to become dull of hearing. You have a responsibility. Jesus gave it in the Great Commission. Remember, it's given five times in the New Testament. And in Matthew 28, it's given in the presence of over 500 individuals, the Bible tells us. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. And then he says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That's part of the Great Commission. That's a command from the commander-in-chief. This is not an option. If you are born again, as you go, everywhere you go, you are to seek to win people to Jesus. And if they come to Jesus, you are to encourage them to take the first step to be baptized. And then you are to do everything in your power through other people or your own ability to teach them the whole counsel of Scripture. That's why I would say that teaching others is not only a byproduct of spiritual growth, it is also a means to spiritual growth. Because if you don't obey what you know, and this is a plain command from Scripture, you will stop growing. Listen, I cannot tell you how many, I, I know it's in the thousands, thousands of times in the last 45 years, where I was studying a text of Scripture that morning in my quiet time, and on that same day as someone asked me a question, you say, that's luck. That's not luck. That's providence. In other words, very often, when you begin to give out to people, God ministers to you not just for yourself, but many times for other people. And the Word of God becomes alive and challenging and pulsating in your life. So not all Christians serve in the office of teaching, just a select few. Not all have the gift of teaching or the gift of pastor teacher. That's more of a minority gift in the body of Christ. But every Christian has the responsibility such that the writer to the Hebrews can say, by this time, you, meaning all, ought to have been teachers. But instead, 
They had regressed into his second childhood. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time, because of your exposure to the Word of God, you were able to share that with another person? I mean, just share, you know, that basic question. So let me tell you, I'm not an expert, but let me tell you what the Scripture says about that. When was the last time you were able to take some passage of Scripture and relate it to your children or possibly your grandchildren? Listen, if you can't remember the last time, then you have regressed. You have gone back. You have backslid into a second childhood. Now, it's one thing to be that way if you're a brand new Christian. So there's an assumption by the writer to the Hebrews that some of these, belie- that these believers as a whole would be able to help the new believers. It's one thing if you're a brand new believer, but I want to tell you, even if you're a new believer and you're six months old in the Lord and you understand some basic truths, God is going to begin to grow you as you teach and help others. So there's a third manifestation I want you to see of spiritual infancy. Number one, they were dull in their hearing. Number two, they were delinquent in their teaching. Number three, the spiritually immature are deficient in their diet. They're deficient in their diet. Again, look at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. What a graphic picture God gives us. Can you imagine us having a church picnic or a potluck and people are drinking nothing but milk? I mean, the elderly, the middle-aged, the the teenagers, the children, the infants, we all got a baby bottle up to our mouth. People would conclude we're either some weird cult or that we have a gross misunderstanding of a good sound diet and what it looks like. But listen, there are congregations of people that are drinking out of the baby bottle week after week after week. They should have moved beyond the elementary principles of God's Word. You see that phrase, the elementary principles? It's a Greek phrase that literally means principles, the first ones. And it's used in reference to language outside of the Bible. It referred to the letters of the alphabet that form the parts of words. That's why you've heard me say, I paraphrase this, they're still on the ABCs. They've never progressed. They they haven't been able to form words and put sentences together. They're just dealing with the elementary principles of the Word of God. And if you read chapters 7 through 10, you see a display of how they did this that they went back to temple worship. They went back to the shadows. And so you see their dullness of hearing in their washings, their gifts, their offerings, their laying on of hands, all that foreshadowed and pictured Christ that were completed in him, and they went back to the basics, uh, back to the shadows of the Old Testament. Why? Well, among other reasons, to escape persecution. They needed now to learn the elementary principles all over again. They should have been on solid food by now, but they were just on milk. Now understand, that's what he is defining here as milk, as the ABCs, the first principles, the elementary principles, where no one ever graduates beyond that. Now milk is important. You never outgrow milk. I was in Houston about 40 years ago, and I was a missionary the time with a Christian organization, and I went into uh, my friend's father's house, Jack Pledger's father. He was in his 70s, and man, this guy was in incredible shape, and, and uh, he said, Carl, 
Every day I have a glass of milk, and he poured it in front of me and drank down that milk. He said, you should have a glass of milk every day. And I do. I have a glass of milk every day. I thought if I look that good at 78, because I'm drinking milk, I'm going to drink it. In either case, in the spiritual realm, while milk is used sometimes, like in 1 Peter, like a newborn babe, we're to long for the pure milk. That's not indifference to meat. That's a description of the purity and the unadulterated truth of Scripture. But in another sense, we are to graduate past milk, past pablum, and to put our teeth into a good T-bone. Listen, as a pastor, in every sermon, I need to give milk and I need to give meat. I need to feed the person who's been a Christian a week, and I need to feed the believer who's been growing for 30 years. And if you as an older Christian get arrogant and proud and say, I don't need this, I've heard this before, give me something deeper, that tells me you're dull of hearing. It tells me you are regressing back to a bottle. It tells me how out of touch you are in dealing with new believers because obviously you're not sharing your faith and interacting with the kinds of questions that they have. Sometimes someone will come in for counsel and and I'll give them the counsel and they say, Pastor, I... I know this. You know, I I don't know why I wasn't applying it. It's like, it's so basic. It's, yes, of course, what you're saying is true. What happened? Something that was once clear became fuzzy. They had digressed spiritually. And so what was now vague and fuzzy was once clear and lucid. Sometimes people will come in and they're in for marriage counseling or one problem after another and say it's marriage counseling. I'll say, well, well, let me just ask you a question. Tell me about your personal quiet time. Tell me about the time that you spend with the Lord. Uh, tell me about your personal prayer time. You know, sometimes we call it a prayer closet, that sacred place where we can shut out the world and, and no one can see but your heavenly father. Tell me about your personal prayer time with the Lord. And more often than not, they'll say, well, you know, I used to have a consistent quiet time. Or sometimes I do it, but I'm not really getting anything out of it, and I'm you know, just kind of checking off the ba- box, and it's shorter. Prayer, well, my wife and I, we used to do that together, and we don't really do it anymore. And what happened? They digressed. What was once clear and lucid has now become vague and foggy and fuzzy. So he's saying that here. And the saddest thing is when, when someone digresses. Look, it, it is sad when a child, say, never grows up physically. We had a precious family here years ago, and they had a little boy, and the boy wasn't expected to live longer than four years, and he grew until he was nine, but they moved him around in a baby stroller all nine years. And sadly, I did his funeral. And that's sad, when you don't grow physically. And it's sad when you meet an adult who has some brain deficiency and can never grow mentally. But it's really sad when you don't grow up spiritually. You have come to need milk and not solid food. An infant doesn't come to need milk. As soon as he's born, he's hungry. He wants to nurse. The only one who comes to need milk is someone who's gone back into childhood. And these people, like many today, due to dullness of hearing, had become sluggish, and they had lost their spiritual appetite for the things of God, backslid into a second childhood. Tomorrow we'll conclude the message, Perpetual Infancy, the first of three messages comprising a mini-series entitled, Growing Up in Christ. 
To listen to this or any of the messages in this series, use the Search the Scriptures app or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program GIC1. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. Join us again tomorrow as we conclude our look at perpetual infancy and search the Scriptures. <music>